With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to China Corner Office, a podcast produced in partnership with SupChina, featuring conversations with business leaders from around the world about the challenges and opportunities of doing business in China, the world's most dynamic economy. I'm Chris Marquis, a professor of business at Cornell, where I teach and research on this same topic. Every episode, we talk to an executive at a company doing business in China and explore what has led to their personal and business success, and also some of the challenges they've encountered along the way. With geopolitical tensions between the U.S. and China on the rise, understanding how business can compete in China is more important than ever. If you're interested in doing business in China or are looking for insights to adjust your current business strategy, this is the show for you. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're talking to Jerry Wong, founder and CEO of Haito Global, a New York-based asset allocation platform that works to direct clients' investments and in developed in emerging markets through an emerging market credit fund, early-stage venture fund, and other products. Jerry received his bachelor's degree in engineering from Tsinghua and a dual master's degree in engineering and business administration from the University of Notre Dame, also my alma mater. Uh, Jerry holds a CFA and CAIA charters, and before founding HITO, Jerry was an investment manager at the University of Notre Dame Investment Office. Jerry, welcome to China Corner Office. Thanks, Chris. So I, I, you know, I think first would love to just get an overview uh, of Haito Global. You know, maybe you can explain a little bit about why why you founded the firm, what some of its distinctive features are, an investment thesis. Uh, of course. Uh, so we started Haito Global seven years ago here in New York, and uh, so as the you know from the the name Haito actually is Mandarin means like overseas uh, investments. And uh, so added the global over time uh, to expand uh, our you know scope. So when we started seven years ago, the intention was to help Chinese uh, institutions, family offices, high net worth individuals invest in the U.S. That's the name overseas investment Haito is coming from. And uh, gradually over time, we expand into emerging markets, uh, Indonesia, India, Mexico, Nigeria, the large populations. And uh, then we added the global, um, you know, on top of Haito. 
So the reason I started at a global party because my training at the Notre Dame Imazim office is always uh, been a global perspective uh, because I'm from, you know, I was born and raised in China uh, with uh, exposure in Asian investments. And uh, also um, because, you, you know, the, the training in alternative investments into like venture capital, private equity, hedge funds, those are pretty new to Chinese investors. So um, even over the years, I've been traveling to China. I gained a perspective, um, build you know connections, and they they are eager, you know, to um, uh, to get exposure in outside of China. So that is how um, you know how things get started. Um, how I you know started to build uh, the Hito Global Platform. Great, and I think now I mean you've pivoted slightly as well and are more focused on you know investment in other emerging markets can you say a little bit about um you know um as opposed to the u.s a little bit about how that came about uh yeah of course i, I mean when the whole emerging market investment is started you know everybody talks about the BRICS and uh talk about you know the the next 11 uh you know goldman helped a bit uh, on that front too and so my um Perspective has from you know um, investment experience at the, at the investment offices, and, and also because I mentioned my background from Asia, and um, the next will be about the investment opportunities because we all know, um, especially after the financial crisis, and the U.S. has been hit really hard, and uh, China weathered um, the you know the credit crisis a while a uh, well. And uh, and other emerging market is just you know start to um, expand and grow fast. We see uh, investment opportunities in the those markets are maturing. They have been showing characteristics, you know the the Asian tigers, the, the bird countries. So they are the next. Uh, we see the growth opportunities. Yeah, it makes sense. Can you say a little bit about the? You mentioned this sort of next eleven, which you know Goldman Sachs. As you mentioned, they christened the BRICS, you know, Brazil, Russia, India, China. And then this next 11 is sort of the ones that are coming after that, because really, you know, China, you know, India, Brazil, I mean, those countries have advanced a lot in the last, you know, 20, 30 years. Uh, can you maybe describe some of the next 11 countries, particularly the ones you think are the biggest uh, potential opportunities in the coming years? Uh, yeah, of course. Actually, we have our own term. Uh, we call it the F-18 uh, it's a little bit larger scope than the next 11, but uh, the CC is the same, you know, the emerging, uh, you know, population, the consumption, the production. And uh, we added FAB because we call it FinTech. And uh, so we are looking at other characteristics, for, for example, the internet penetration rate, uh, the financial services, you know, the credit card penetration rate, the, the bank account ownership. So we added that uh, new element. And added a couple new, um, you know, countries. Uh, but the, like I say, investment suits are same. We're looking for large populations, you know, 50 million, 100 million. And the largest, like, um, you know, Nigeria, um, Indonesia, like 200, 300 million population, almost as big as the United States. And those are a young population. People over there, uh, work really hard. Um, you, you know, the, they grow the uh, GDP uh, per capita is really fat, like five, six percent a year. And, uh, you know, close to the China's level, uh, and, and, and double rose, you know, de developed countries. So that's, that's our, you know, markets that we're looking for. 
and that we're looking for, you know, a political stability, the the open market, and the supporting infrastructure, uh, you, you know, the friendly regulations. So, uh, there are a couple areas we look top down, you know, from a macro perspective. That's how we picked uh, rose at like eighteen markets. It's a it's everybody talk about rose, you know, Turkey, and Pakistan. So those those are very promising, but few people actually go there. Yeah, and so it seems. I mean, that there's maybe you have a set of countries in Asia, maybe Southeast Asia, Africa, and then also you know Latin America. Is it is it hard? I mean, given the cultural and institutional differences across those three different regions, let alone the different countries, you know, what are some of the challenges involved with having you know looking at such diverse? Uh, geographies. Uh, it, it is hard. I, I mean, you, you think about the back to the Columbus days, you know, uh, you're developed a new market and a new continent, and you, you get to know the local people, culture, uh, the environment, infrastructure. So we tend to build it from ground up. So when we go to those markets, say, um, Indonesia six years ago, there wasn't even like a, a mobile payments and people pay in cash. And uh, when you try to pay someone, you just call Gojack. It's like a motorcycle. And uh, he, he pick up cash from you and send it to the other guy, you know. And so that, so we, we, what we do, so we um, bring the, you know, the China technology, the other uh, mobile payment teams, and uh, we work with like 7-Eleven, uh, you know, the, the, the markets, and they have a cashier, and uh, let them to as more like a POS, you know, uh, collect the cash for us, gradually evolve to current you know, very advanced mobile, you know, e-wallet. Um, it's going to take time. And uh, we bring, um, you know, everyone over, uh, not just like money, um, people, team, experience, technology. Then we help build the local infrastructure, uh, build the whole ecosystem. And uh, we just, you know, try to copy that model to every single one of those markets. It's hard work, but uh, it works. Yeah, I mean, that's so interesting to hear about this sort of cash delivery in Indonesia. And it's not that long ago that China was sort of similar. I don't know about a similar, you know, sort of service, but I can remember, you know, going to the bank and people would come in, I mean, some small business owner and have like boxes of 100 renminbi notes and there'd be like sort of this counting, you know, line, you know, line, I'm like, I just want to do my banking service. And I just had to, this person is, you know, having all this cash counted. So uh, I'm sure that the expertise that you've developed in China, which is really the leader in, you know, e-commerce, fintech has been very helpful as you take some of those models uh, to other countries. Is that, is that right? Uh, of course. I mean, I clearly remember in the early days of e-commerce, that's like, uh, say, uh, around 2003, 2004, uh, you know, the previous pandemic hit China. Uh, JD, that's the leader, and you know, uh, along with Alibaba of, uh, of the pioneer of e-commerce. Uh, when they delivered, they actually paid the door. So they bring the books and, uh, you know, grocery to you, then you pay them a cash. Then the driver uh, collect the cash and send back to the headquarters. That's like 15, 16 years ago in China. So um, from that perspective, in, in Indonesia is like 10 years behind of China. So when we bring the technology, bring the team over, say uh, Alibaba, invest in uh, Lazada, they send like thousands of engineers over to train them, bring uh, bring the technology, develop locally. And actually the process accelerated. You know, they um, it took them five years to get to certain, like almost as advanced as China. 
and the mobile in terms of like mobile penetration rate, and it's happening in emerging market. So it amazed me. So the largest uh, mobile payment population uh, penetration rate is not the U.S., not not China. It's Kenya. Kenya is like eighty five percent, and uh, uh, China is about eighty percent. U.S. is about forty percent. But this is like pre pandemic. Pandemic accelerated that you know adoption rate. People don't count cash anymore. They use like uh, NFC. They use like um, you know swipe card or China use barcode. And so it's no contact at all. And uh, I definitely see um, you know technology advancement and also the pandemic helped. Um, it's still helping you know accelerate the, the adoption. I'd love to talk a little bit more you know about either the Indonesia case or maybe there's another you know you know um, example that you want to highlight but you know so you're working there to help develop this infrastructure you know are you are there companies that you're investing in existing Indonesian companies that you know are you bringing you know getting expertise from China you know transporting it there to help you know, other companies or maybe forming companies yourself? I mean, how, how exactly are you working with the Indonesian companies to help spur this sector? Um, so we have this, uh, we call the triangle model. Uh, say uh, the business model, the advanced technology actually originated from, from the U.S. And uh, roads are has been tested and, and expanded in, in China. So China has the very experienced team. So in the past like 10, 15 years, They've been dealing with like hundreds of millions, you know, transactions. Actually, the mobile transaction is like in trillions of dollars a year. And then we bring roads to the local market. In the in Indonesia's case, so we form joint venture with local teams. And the local team we are working with actually is like sixth generation Chinese family. And, uh, you know, they, um, they moved from China to Indonesia like centuries ago. And uh, the the current generation are educated in the U.S. You know they went to uh, um, Carnegie Mellon and, and uh, work for Citibank in New York, and then they move back to Jakarta. So uh, you know we we build this like network that we formed joint venture with the China team. Um, the China team were trained, you know, in D.C. was Capital One, and back to China and uh, build a team in Chengdu. You know that's like a lower cost than Beijing and Shanghai. And very experienced team, and but lower cost. And they're very dedicated to, um, for overseas market. They don't compete in China at all. So this model started more like Accenture, you know, all source BPO model. They have a, a back offices, you know, in Dalian, Qingdao, and Chengdu and Chongqing. Lower cost countries, you know, Western countries, not uh, you know the coastal. Like Shenzhen or Shanghai, our roads are very expensive, and because you know leaving cars and competition, so and then we see the model actually works. Um, like I said, we bring the exper- experience, bring the technology to the local team. Local team, like I mentioned, they they been there for like six generations, and uh, but they still understand you know Chinese culture. Uh, speak a little bit Mandarin, but you know trained, educated uh, in in the U.S. We have the same mindset. You know how how to bring you know um, regulation, uh, technology and financial inclusion to the local market. So that's that's critical. So everyone has to be have the on the same page, has the same mindset. Yeah, it sounds like I mean that JV model you describe is really probably very fruitful because if you think about 
you know, how some of these technologies were introduced in China, you know, like, you know, eBay coming in and, you know, Alibaba demolished them or, you know, Amazon did okay for a while, but, you know, JD and Alibaba also, you know, really outcompeted them. Whereas, you know, if you just were to try to bring in a company from China, there might be also the same, you know, maybe missteps because you wouldn't sort of get the culture uh, get the local conditions, but by actually by forming that relationship with a local company, you know, it's sort of the best of both worlds. Uh, exactly. So one, the you know, the big companies going in, and uh, the local uh, authorities are, are kind of concerned. You know, they're coming in, spend billions of dollars, acquire local businesses, and, and you know, and they dominate the, the the small industry. So actually, we are from more like uh, you know, ground up. And uh, it's grassroots and you know bootstrapping, and uh, we uh, were tied uh, closely to the local p- community. Uh, in uh, Indonesia, for example, when we got to there, there was no regulation on fintech. You know, um, you don't need a license. There's no in- uh, interest rate cap. You can just do whatever you want. So you have a payment system. You have a gateway. Then you can just like start to lend. There's no, uh, nothing regulation requirements on the deposits, on, like I said, interest rate, and you can do whatever you want. And, uh, that was going on for like three years. And then the, the, um, Indonesian uh, authority called OJK, kind of like ICC in the US, they got alerted saying, Oh, this is, they can't go on like this forever. We need to learn from the US, from China. How do you regulate the, the emerging fintech industry? That's how they come up with the requirements. You know, you need to register for a license. You need to report your data to OJK on a monthly basis. And uh, all the money should be in, put in the custodian bank and then not, uh, not on your corporate account. So uh, those are start to forming. We actually helped, uh, you know, uh, push that to that front. We want the, the, the industry, the market uh, regulated. Otherwise, it's just like a wild west, right? And and, and it's going to kill the, the industry pretty quick. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I think having, you know, sort of a consistent set of rules. I mean, if you're a strong player, I mean, that that helps you tre- tremendously because it does, you know, sort of cut out the, you know, crazy wild west um, part. Yeah, that's the barrier entry, right? So, you know, from the, we're from New York City, you know, from the, our perspective, everything's regulated, right? So if it's not, we have, we have our concern. That's the different mentality right. emerging market. They're saying, oh, it's not regulated. It's so exciting. Let's go in. <laughs> it's a different mentality here. We want to be regulated. Yeah. And, right. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, what are some of the other, uh, I guess, local, specifics that you have to have to adjust to one is i guess this changing regulatory landscape are there sort of other sort of cultural or social differences with how you implement e-commerce or fintech in a place like indonesia versus your experience in china or the us uh i mean um you have to respect the local culture right the, the way they communicate and how do you dress and i mean the western you know suit and tie is fine but uh, you know when we go to the local uh, local you know uh, we dress like a local, and uh, of course, we speak English. We transact in U.S. dollars, and uh, that's uh, you know, uh, global standard. Uh, but uh, there are caveats, you know. In, uh, we had to follow, for example, Jakarta is so um, jammed. You know, um, usually I book only two meetings a day, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and uh, it's a, that's that's the best you can do if you don't want to miss your meetings. I tried three, and the one I try to fit in the lunch. I I, I keep missing it. You know. Uh, it's just a crazy, 
Um, but uh, then you start to realize how you can deal with it. You, you can go with the Gojack, right? Right on the motorcycle, right? So right. that is kind of dangerous. <laughs> and or you can just like get up super early and uh, and uh, and have late night meetings. So that way I can fit in like a four or five meetings a day, make it more productive. It's like twice as productive. So, uh, I mean, on my first trip over there, I, I had no idea, you know, and I was saying, why only three meetings? And you guys are so lazy. You have only three meetings a day. <laughs> Actually, you can't make three meetings. Um, anyway, so you, when you're deal with, say, the, the OJK, the authorities, there are, you know, and they they kind of concern see oh you're are you from China or say no I'm from the U S and you you know it's it, there's a certain um you know competition or that's like one China start to realize this one road one belt one road policy you know and they're kind of like welcome it because you bring the money right bring the the infrastructure and the other hand they're concerned about what what you're doing here and what do you want from me so. Um, but in in the U.S., it's mostly you know welcome and uh, and it's the same experience in Africa. So one you know the uh, U.S. firm going over like a Google and you know like Facebook, what are they're promoting? It's like I'm helping to build the the mobile internet, building infrastructure so you can communicate, you can connect each other. And uh, when the uh, Chinese firm promote, they're saying about selling cell phones, selling games, you know. Uh, it's just like it's kind of different mentality. U.S. is more about you know connection and and, uh, and Chinese firm are more about you know promotion, selling, marketing. Um, you can get it right away. You know, just after one conference. And this is more like a, I wouldn't say not profit, but it mostly you know helping the the local grow. And uh, the other will be just like how how do I make money uh, in the in mm-hmm. African markets. Uh, um, so definitely we, um, like I said, we have both China and the U S background. So we have yeah. to, you know, play the delicate, <laughs> uh, I'm showing, showing them a card. So which one is more favorite to us, you know, it probably is a real advantage. And, um, yeah. And I do think that, you know, many of these contexts that you're talking about, I mean, the human capital and financial capital that you bring are really, I mean, not exactly a nonprofit, but I mean, this is a tool of economic and social development that I'm sure that, you know, contributes a lot to the different countries. Yeah, I mean, you have to train them, you had to change their mindset. For example, the Muslim, you know, community in um, Indonesia, they never used to work hard, you know, when when the Chinese firm first go in, let them say, you got to work nine to six, they never done that before, and you want to work overtime. They do, they don't, and and uh, uh, it's I mean those are true true stories. If you pay them like a bonus, saying oh th- you're doing a great job, pay a bonus. The next day they're not coming back to work. They're gonna spend like a week, spend all their money, and, and uh, saying oh uh, I'll come back in a week, and because uh, you give me all this bonus, I'm gonna spend them before I work another day. It's just different mentality. Then. Then they start to get used to, you know, work hard, uh, make more money and, uh, you know, uh, raise their life standard and, uh, you know, have a better future for their kids. They start, you know, incentivize how do you, you know, better education, uh, improve your productivity. Um, it, it just it just take time. The local culture is more, you know, laid back and, uh, and just like, um, you know, spend what you earn. Nobody borrow anything, no leverage at all. And. And so it's good in a way. And, uh, but you know, the one you have new business model, 
I you want to have people you know fitting that model. You have to train them, and、uh, some sometimes you have to change the you know the local culture too. I'd love to, you know. I mean, I could see how, like Indonesia, with a big set of entrepreneurs of of Chinese origin,、um, you know, that it might be a little easier at times to because there, you know, might be some sort of sinking of cultural values. I'd love to hear a little bit about some of your African、uh, investments and work in Africa.、Uh, you mentioned actually Kenya had very high penetration of already mobile payments. I mean, I know the M-Pesa program is sort of pioneering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.、Uh, what are you, know, you mentioned? You know, Nigeria as a real promising country given the large population, young population. You know, what are some of the African countries that you think are really promising and ones that you're working with?、Uh, I think we're mostly committed uh, to uh, Nigeria. Whereas,、uh, as I mentioned, it's largest population over there, and、uh, it has the basic infrastructure. And I like the most is the local population. You know, they are young, energetic. They work really hard. So I, when I first got to um um you you know the the country, um I was surprised. You know I I used to you know、uh, part because、uh, the time difference. I I woke up early. I, I got out to jog, you know, like really early in the morning, like four or five, and、uh, people are actually walking on the street, walk to work. And、uh, when I get back to hotel, I ask me why did they get up so early? And there's no public transportation. They they walk three hours to work. You know. Uh, we got up for、uh, leave home at five. Get work at eight, and、uh, after work, and they have walk three hours back home. There's no bus, and, and、uh, actually, there's no, actually, there's no paved road. They're walking, you know, in 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 you know by the small trees. It's hard, and sometimes they have to、uh, they have to run, and because、uh, they, they're gonna be late. And、uh, this is how people are, like I said, young, energetic, and and、uh, work so hard to to make a living. And、uh, when we first get there,、um, like I said, there's the, some basic infrastructure, but you know the road is too bad, and、um, there's、um, you know broken down、um, cars and on the road all the time, and and it, it's it's difficult, but it's very promising. Quite a few you know U.S. firms, U.K. firms,、uh, they come to、uh, Nigeria to help to build the you know the the payment system. The banking system, the regulations, it it has been growing really fast, and、uh, they they motivated、uh, the local young,、uh, well trained, and some are you know、uh, UK or US educated、uh, young generation. They they brought、uh, the education, the technology, the business model back to Nigeria, particularly in Lagos area. You know that's、uh, near the port, a、uh, uh, little bit more wealthy, um, um, you know communities. Um, so, it's、uh, that that's where we put、uh, money into different you know、uh, fintech projects and some e-commerce and some logistics, some consumer finance projects, and help the local community and help the you know build the connections between African countries to the U.S. and and、uh, to China. Yeah, can you say a little bit more about some of maybe one or two of the key projects that you think are most. Uh, interesting. I mean, you know, in finance or logistics or you know whatever of your project you think are the most interesting to highlight. Yeah, I mean, finance are.、Um, I can give you two example. One is a fintech company、uh, we invested in, and this is funded by、um, a local、uh, local folk, and、uh, he was educated here in in the states, worked two three years in Silicon Valley, and then moved back to Lego, started the Wallstack company. And help local, you know, middle class families 
manage their money in the, in in terms of U.S. dollars, because you you know the the local currency、um, depreciated dramatically, you know year over year against U.S. dollars, and local people there when whenever they have money, they just like buy gold, buy Bitcoin,、uh, and invest in U.S. dollars. So they set up a a company and help the local、um, families and invest in like U.S. real estate, U.S. fixed income. U.S. stocks, so it's through a mobile app. It's very convenient and the, mostly just store the money, you know, and and get, they can put in like fifty dollars in in like um you know QQQ ETFs and and、uh, in Texas、uh, real estate, you know, through the crowdfunded projects.、Uh, you can put a small dollar and、uh, own a small percentage of、uh, real estate properties in Texas. So. Those are,、um, you know,、um, address the the critical issue as I mentioned, the local inflation, currency depreciation, and、uh, they save the money for their kids. You know, they they gonna send their kids to the U.S. study at one day, and they start saving when when they you know just born, and that's like、uh, one case.、Um, I definitely see leverage. You know, the 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 U.S. technology and the China model, and、uh, the domestic demand, and another example would be on the. Uh, consumer side, so we work with one、uh, China team. Actually, the team original from Shanghai. They've been in Africa for five years, doing trade. Originally, they just like buy stuff, you know, from China,、um, cheap stuff, you know, sell to Africa. And gradually, that model doesn't work because of competition. Because、uh, you know, I mentioned the currency depreciation. When you sell something over there, when you get your money back, it depreciates thirty percent already <laughs> in all your margins, and.、Uh, Then we、uh, we create the new model. You know, we buy from Africa、um, and sell、uh, to to U.S. and to China, the local produce.、Uh, you you know the the co-、uh, co- coffee beans and、uh, the cashew nuts and, and、uh, the kombana. You know the the local food. And what's lacking? They there's a lot of growers and farmers. You know, what's lacking is like there's no facility, no factories. How do you produce them? So they just. Sell them as like the the raw product. You don't make a lot of money sell the raw product. You know it's pretty heavy and、uh, with shells on. They they don't know how to produce it.、It's、no electricity. It's really hard to build a factory. And、uh, what we did is like we、um, we bought trucks, and、uh, and so we send to、um, Lagos so they can go to the the villages、uh, to procure you know from the local farm buy from the local farmers. And、uh, we we shipped back to Lagos, and、uh, we built a factory over there. We bought the、uh, machineries from Vietnam. It's it's like hybrid machines. Now, like you know, what they think of is the automated. It's like it's half human and half machines. Like you have hand is like hand、uh, handled. Then we hire a lot of you know local women uh, to um, you know deshell those like nuts and、uh, make high quality nuts, and、uh, then you can sell at a higher margin. You dry them. And、uh, send them to Hangzhou, China, and、uh, give them different flavors, and sell to you know、uh, Chinese rising middle class. You know this is on huge demand. Those like healthy nuts,、uh, kind of like in U.S. Right? Everybody wants to buy superfoods, want to eat healthy, and a lot of roads are are coming from Africa, and、uh, we are trying to build the logistics,、uh, build a factory over there, and、uh, also. Uh, we're renting land, you know,、um, s- s- subsidized by the government. Hire local farmer to grow,、um, not in scale, and、uh, then you can, you know, produce, process, 
uh, then ship to to China. So th- th- this is a part of the global trade. But we're not just traders. We're actually going there, become like a grower, processor, and then shipper, and then and then eventually get to the the end market. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that you know it makes a lot you know sense that all these farmers probably relatively small, dispersed. Yeah, so creating some sort of logistics system to connect them together, you know, even through like you said, trucks and have these factories, you know, helps everyone really. I mean, the the farmers are you know can get stuff to a new market. You mentioned you hire a variety of women to process the the shells, uh, and then I'm also curious. Uh, the 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 finances of, of this you know it's probably a long period of time from like when the nut is picked until it's in Hangzhou mm-hmm. and I'm sure, how how is the credit uh, process you know d- during that time from you know when it's a raw you know very first step of raw material to to the finished good yeah it it takes a long period of time usually you know it takes like uh, three months to six months. And, uh, and also Africa, you have like a rainy season, dry season. Then you had to procure it at, at the dry season, produce them. Otherwise it gets all wet. And, and, uh, um, so we usually, um, extend the credit to the local companies and, and for like three, six, sometimes like 12 months, it's like a whole year credit. And so they can go to buy the, the produce and the process them and, uh, ship them. And the, the longest, you know, time you're spending is is on on the ocean and shipping. So, uh, nowadays you you stuck at a custom, you know, because they check for a pandemic and you know viruses. It takes a long time. Usually, is um that's the bottleneck. And uh, other than that, it, it's pretty efficient in Ch- on the China end. In the in Lagos, that's the port. You know, um, you just need to go through the the process, uh, the the customs. Um, so we're, we're patient capital. Like I said, uh, we started by facilitating the trade. Then we started building the, the factory, buying the machineries, the, the trucks. Then we, uh, you know, extend in, in the upstream to, um, you know, rent the land and start to grow. Uh, it really depends. So some produce like, uh, Kavana, it takes them like six, nine months to, to mature. Some like it takes three, four years, you know, grow the trees and, uh, and so, it's a long-term commitment, but it definitely helps you know the local community, the local economy. Yeah, definitely, very interesting. Uh, I'm curious as well. So we've talked about like an Asian-focused uh, investment, an African focus. Is there any Latin American uh, focus investment that you'd like to highlight? Uh, yeah, of course. I, I, you know, um, we start to studying you know Latin America, Mexico, Colombia, Peru, Brazil. So, uh, roads like large population, it has been on, on our, I mean, on paper, we've been uh, looking at them for years and, uh, but we, uh, never really spend much time on it because, like I said, we're most familiar with like, uh, Southeast Asia, Asia and, and Africans natural extension. We, uh, we, we spend time in like Dubai, Pakistan too. Um, and this is a different route and because of the pandemic, we're stuck in New York. So we can spend more time talking to folks at Mexico City, you know, Bogota and get to know them better, get to know the, and the, you know, the local uh, environment. So the roads are critical. We need to understand what, what is going on and that we need to find local partners. So it takes time. So we've been talking to roads, you know, on a daily basis. Actually, I just had a call in the morning to, you know, Bogota uh, and uh, there, there are B2C, e-commerce company 
and they try to you know uh, increase the efficiency, serve the convenience stores. Those are businesses, you know, uh, the models we seen, you know, like I said in China, more like a Alibaba, Tianbao, uh, Taobao model. Uh, this started like twenty years ago, and uh, now it's getting popular. Uh, in Latin America, a lot of um, you know, seeking value money flow into, and uh, quite a few you know Stanford grads or Cornell grads, and and they 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 move back to, um, uh, Colombia, Mexico. The team uh, I'm talking to, actually they uh they um they went study in Switzerland, and work like nine years in Europe, and uh, move back to Colombia, uh, set up the business, you know, um, trying to copy the model what worked in in U.S. in in China. So we see that very promising, well-educated team, and uh, they have uh, the end game in mind because they've, they've seen the big picture. They know what's really going on in Europe, in U.S., in, in, in China, and uh, then they try to copy that to their local countries. That, that's really interesting. It also really highlights, again, I think, you know, the, you know your, one of your unique competitive advantages you know, a lot of the, you know, Silicon Valley venture capital companies that I've talked to, you know, if they're going to go to some other country, you know, they immediately are really oriented towards the U.S. companies and U.S. model. But perhaps for more developing economies, you know, China is a much more natural analog. Uh, and so, you know, you having both of those connections probably, you know, is very valuable. I'm curious, as you, you know, Latin America is a place that has a lot of U.S. investment already. You know, w- what's your sense about, you know, how sort of your China focus and relationship, you know, is a competitive advantage in a market like Mexico? Uh, of course. I, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, emphasis from investments from, from China nowadays. And uh, uh, most one most recent example would be like the vaccine, you know, uh, a lot of vaccine coming from China. I, I number I read is like 50% are coming from China, uh, all Latin America, and uh, also the infrastructure building. So the the team I t- I'm talking to, you know, in Bogota told me the Chinese firm helping them build subways, Toll roads and the high-class speed rails connecting Boga to the you know the um, adjacent towns and the cities. So those are they they like it. You know it helps them to improve you know facilities and uh, productivity and and it's same thing like uh, you know in the U.S. we're promoting uh, infrastructure building right and uh, Joe Biden has uh, like a two trillion dollars and uh, to to build the EVs and toll roads and high-speed rails. So it's the same thing. And the roads are welcomed uh, in uh, Latin America countries. Um, definitely, they see the the benefit because they bring in the the team, bring in the technology, and uh, and also bring the money, right? So there's a credit from import export bank of China, and uh, offer them a cheaper credit so they can you know build the road and uh, start to use them and then pay them back later. Um, so they definitely see the benefit of it. And uh, for for us, they kind of like. Uh, trying to, you know, copy the success of Alibaba or JD, and uh, a a lot of roads with um you know um procurement components too. They try to buy from China, and uh, we uh, look at a couple of companies cross border B two B companies, and uh, the the procurement is in like uh Wenzhou or Ningbo, and uh, uh they sell to the to the local businesses, and and direct. So you know, cut the middleman. They handle all the procurement and logistics, uh, tax, custom, everything. So 
um, that that model is from is is that、uh, you know invented by Alibaba, you know AliExpress. So、um, they are trying to copy that to their local economies and to compete with Ali because Alibaba is like a Chinese firm, right? They can know、uh, every single country as well as the local guys, right? And、um, so we we definitely see. And and the local competition is is picking up mostly because roles are you know trained and or with experience in China or, or U.S. For example, the the Mexico B two B business actually has two co founders. One、uh, spend time in Mexico and spend time in China. So they they partner together. One is the buying, one is selling, and、uh, create a B two B business. That's that's the ideal team, right? And.、Uh, Uh, definitely, we see those are very, very promising, and、uh, they, uh, you know, they start make money right away. They charge eight percent and on the facilitation fees, still much cheaper than you handle it yourself, right? How do you, you know, buy from China and ship them and pay the custom and come back here and they charge only eight percent? Yeah, wow.、Uh- Such interesting businesses that you're you're able to sort of examine and and and, and invest in, and you know, I mean, I can see some. Similarities in some ways between some of the stuff you talked about in Indonesia、uh, and Mexico. The Nigeria operation is very, very different, though. And I, and I, you know, let alone just different countries, but different businesses. I'd love to hear a little bit about maybe some of the lessons that you've learned about due diligence as you are pursuing these projects. You know, given that you're you know going across all different kinds of geographies, all different kinds of cultures. And in, in a variety of businesses too.、Um, I mean, we tend to work、uh, with a team we we know、uh, over the years, and、uh, like some U.S. teams and some are,、uh, China teams. So, for example, for Latin America, we're working with you know team based in L.A., based in、uh, D.C., and I, we know over time. So we're familiar with the business model. I mentioned B two B, B two C, payment, wealth tech. Those are. Um, you, you know, test and true models, and、uh, and that when we go to the local market, we、uh, we find a team. You know, for example, the Mexican investments, we're working with the local team we know over the past three years, and that they've been working in New York and uh, uh, online trading. So move back to Mexico, and and we set up the joint venture with the team. So、uh, it's like we try to work with you know、um, as much as familiar elements as possible. And、uh, you know, get that get the uncertainty out.、Uh, so, and of course, localization is hard. But you know, we we do thorough research. We do、uh, on the ground due diligence. We work with the government. You know, we、uh, always with favorable policies. And、um, like the example I mentioned in Indonesia, when there were no such policy, we push it. You know, set up a、uh, you know. Industry、uh, association and、uh, push OJK to put a standard in. Otherwise, the market will just go by. It's like as you said, wild, wild west, right? Everybody can chip in. Everybody is like making the money. They're gonna、uh, crash the industry pretty quick.、Um, it, it it takes time, but um, uh, like I said, uh, and if you do the right thing, and if you spend time and patience to build the ecosystem, not to make a quick buck, you know. Uh, try to uh, grow roots uh, in the, in the local community. Then you got support, right? So、um, that way you you stay there longer, and that、uh, you grow with the in community, grow with the economy, and not、uh, the exploitation model. You know,、um, uh, like 
make a quick buck and then then you run away. Yeah, it does sound like I mean, you know, given the trajectory of these countries having such a long term perspective, it's almost like you can't lose. I mean, so yeah, the people that are just out to make a quick buck, I mean, probably they're going to shoot themselves in the foot in the long run anyways, because people won't trust them, people want to work with them. But actually, you know, taking these really unique technologies, sort of copying from China or copying from the US, and then, you know, growing with these countries, you know, I'm sure is, yeah, re- re- really smart, uh, really smart strategy. I mean, it takes time to build trust. And uh, say for Indonesia, for example, Indonesia last year, when the pandemic hit the hardest, and uh, the local rupiah depreciated 15% over like a week. And uh, we're denominating U.S. dollars. And, and you, you know, those, those, our local partner panicked. And so how are we going to pay you back? And because the, the money depreciated 15% and our margin is 15%. I'm saying, don't worry to pay us back. And we'll we're, we're stick with you. And uh, then, then gradually, you know, the economy recovered, the currency recovered. Now it's, it's, it's about at par with U.S. dollars and because U.S. dollar depreciated a lot too. And uh, as, as like before the pandemic, so you just like you had to stick with them and, and during the hard times and uh, and then they would start, you know, trust you. Uh, that's how you build you know, long term commitment. And uh, uh, that's how you, you know, build a long term relationship. Yeah, makes sense. You mentioned the, the pandemic a couple of times in as you've talked about the different deals and building trust over this period. You know, in what other ways has the pandemic affected your business over the last um, year? Um, definitely, you know, stress tested our our model. And, uh, you, you know, the what during the hardest time is similar to New York City, and uh, all, all the landlords, they can, you know, um, collect the tent and, the, you know, the rent for like 90 days. And it's the same thing in other markets like in Indonesia, uh, India. They close down the city like uh, like uh, Delhi or Jakarta for like 90 days. Uh, you can't really do business during the 90 days. You can't go to work. You can't collect and you can't ask for money back. And because all, um, all financial institution start uh, you know, stopped and uh, collecting payments and uh, for ninety days, the roads are darkest days, and uh, then we we stuck with the you know the local platforms, and, and after that's over, you know when when the lockdown was lifted, and the local people started paying back, uh, in, in, you know in 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 good faith. So we actually uh, didn't lose money last year. So it was just like postponed. So all the payments postponed and like between sixty to ninety days. So uh, when when they hit to like September, we well, actually were fully recovered, and uh, and that's how you you know um, know your model actually work. You know during during the the toughest time, uh, your partners stick with you, and, and uh, um, so in that way, pandemic actually helped. Um, as I mentioned, um, that uh, accelerated the adoption rate uh, of the you know uh, the online penetration, the mobile payment. Uh, the e-commerce, the logistics, you know, look at the, what's, what's, what hap- what's happening in the U.S. Like I mentioned, um, the, um, the mobile payment penetration rate was actually lower than some other emerging market because people use checks, use cash. Now it's like nobody uses them anymore. So um, it's just like you suddenly just jumped from like 40% to 60%. And it's it supposed to be take you like a decade. Now it's just like over a year. Yeah, very interesting. So, you know, it sounds like although maybe some 
you know, worries at the beginning. I mean, the pandemic actually has both, you know, it reinforced your trust with many partners and actually accelerated uh, your model in a number of different locations. So, so yeah, we uh, we kind of we have to adopt that we call the new norm, right? This is the norm now, but it's the new new norm. Super. It's it's been super interesting to learn about your business. I mean, this you know, sort of triangle model that you describe between, you know, U.S. and capital and and expertise and companies and, you know, the China unique um, fintech and e-commerce expertise and innovation. And then in these emerging markets, I mean, it's a real, you know, powerful thesis, I think, that you've developed. Uh, I'd like to take a step back, though, actually, and learn a little bit about you personally uh, in, in sort of this last few minutes of the podcast, you know, I guess maybe because both of us had gone to Notre Dame, I'm particularly interested in your experience at the Notre Dame endowment. But, you know, I'd love to learn a little bit about, you know, how your experience, you know, from your time in Tsinghua as an engineering student through, you know, getting a dual MBA, MBA and engineering degree helped position you for starting and running this firm? Um, I would say I always appreciate Notre Dame because when I graduated from Tsinghua, I was offered a full scholarship to come study at Notre Dame. And later on, I, I, I understand this money actually from the investment office made by the endowment. So they offer scholarship to international students. And so without that scholarship, I could never come to the States. So um, that's one of the reasons I joined the investment office too. And also the investment office helped me to shape my, you know, the thinking, my uh, investment thesis. Um, not, when I was there, the CIO called Scott Malpass, and he's one of the, the leaders, pioneers, the legend of the endowment world, uh, along with like David Svensson. Uh, sadly, David Svensson passed away um, um, recently. Uh, David Svensson started at Yale at uh, uh, 1985. Scott Malpass started at the CIO of Notre Dame actually 1988. Um, so it's just like, um, I've spent like over 30 years at, at the Notre Dame investment office, helped build the team, shape the investment strategy. And he, he really liked, you know, emerging market. He started traveling to China, you know, in the early 90s and uh, st- started making investments in early 2000s, you know, with, um, you know, well-known firms now like uh, Hill House or Sequoia China, it was when they first started, like Qingming, you know, 2003, 2004, really early adopters. And uh, the current CEO, uh, Mike Donovan, you know, we used to travel together to, to Asia, to China, you know, a couple of times a year. It's a huge commitment uh, to, to China. And it made, of course, it paid off too. It made a lot of money uh, from, you know, hedge funds and venture investment, private equity. Um, and then uh, expand the, to other emerging market gradually, you know, Southeast Asia and Africa. So uh, Scale Map has, has been very methodical. You know, when we decide the, the next emerging market will be in Africa, then he start just have the team travel to Africa, you know, uh, go to conferences and meet the local communities. And his plan was like, let's spend 10 years to study market. Then, then we have, uh, you know, the lead uh, when we start to make investments. So it's like, so we know it's Notre Dame's private school, right? So we have a, um, eternity uh, in terms of investment horizon. So you can have the money forever. So uh, that's why you have the luxury to spend 10 years just doing market research, just trying traveling on the ground and meeting people and uh, then make a commitment when it's ready. 
Um, so the first investment will be with you know the the uh, former KKR guys or Blackstone guys. You know they're from Africa, working in London, and now bring back to home country, set it up a shop over there, trying to help help a local community doing a local deal. Those are ideal teams to you know partner with and uh, to invest in them. So I learned a lot. You know, um, how do you you know um, take your time, patience, build network, alignment, interest, and uh, uh, and uh, lock up your capital for long term, and uh, don't don't make a quick buck. You, you know, uh, and roads are and also what's popular ESG, and uh, we didn't really talk about ESG, but it's embedded in every investment we made. You know, that's Notre Dame, right? So uh, you had to make make it right. And uh, it's not about that, you know, if you're making money, it's profit or not. And uh, it has to be the, the, you know, the right thing to do first. Um, so definitely, uh, I learned a lot over the couple of years at the investment office. But like I said, uh, uh, there's no no shame to know how to global right now. So and I identified the opportunity while I was traveling to Asia to China, and I learned from the team over there. And uh, and um, yeah, definitely I definitely owe owe the team. You know, um, uh, we're not success yet, but we're still start up. But uh, definitely. I, I trace my roots back to the to my uh, years of experience over there. Yeah, interesting. I mean, some of the things that really resonated with me based on what you've said over the last hour, I mean, this long-term perspective, uh, you know, establishing relationships, deep relationships, trusted relationships for the long-term. And also, you know, you mentioned ESG and something that, yeah, we didn't really talk a lot about it as a specific topic, topic but, you know, as I listen to all of your comments about the different investments, you know, the social development, economic development of the communities and individuals and farmers and, you know, focusing on labor of women, I mean, really came through as well. So, you know, it's really been fantastic to learn more about Hito Global and your experience, Jerry. I think this podcast will be, you know, very educational to our listeners. So thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. It has been fun. Thanks for joining us on China Corner Office. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Marquis, Kaiser Guo, and Jason McRonald. Did you enjoy the show? If so, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know your thoughts. And don't forget to subscribe to the feed for alerts when new episodes are published. See you soon.